but we'll turn in our Bibles this morning to Second Chronicles, and a very familiar story in Second Chronicles chapter number 20. I'm going to leave Second Peter, and uh, we'll give these false prophets a break for a minute, uh, but we'll come back to that, God willing, and we'll look and uh, continue to look there in Second Peter chapter 2 and dealing with those false prophets, um, and um, we'll look. God just spoke to me a little bit about this story. I've never preached this uh, section of Scripture in it's just such a familiar piece uh, of Scripture that's been preached often. But um, you know what I find about these Bible uh, truths, I hate to call them stories, but Bible truths, um, is they speak to you at different times. They don't ever change. The message doesn't change, and uh, it's not open to private interpretation of people, and it doesn't change in, in that sense. But it does change in where you are in your life. And you'll read a scripture that you've read in other times, and it's like, well, that was good, but it didn't really. But God will take something else and work it into your heart and help you at a certain time. And, uh, and that's because the Bible's alive. And, uh, and it's alive unto us because the Spirit of God has made it alive to us. And so when we read it, uh, we're un- able to uh, understand it in a manner that the world doesn't. And I just love how I can go through the Word and uh, see different times in my life, uh, depending on where I'm at, see things differently and how it will apply to me at that time. And uh, so I, I, this story's done that in Second Chronicles chapter number 20. Uh, most of you know uh, the, the general background of the story, but I want to kind of deal just a little bit with that before, because I want to try to cover the whole chapter. And I want to do it as quick as I can uh, for you so that we don't keep you here all day. But I, I want to try to get through this chapter and go back to Second Peter tonight, if that's what the Lord wants. And so we'll just kind of set the stage here. Uh, and dealing a little bit uh, with Jehoshaphat and dealing with the um, the problem that he's about to face and um, and and what I'm kind of looking at I'm, I'm looking at is where we are today. Um, I, we can understand the law, which was the Bible said was written for our learning, and so we look at these Old Testament truths and we can learn a lot. Uh, just like what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, we read in, in 2 Peter, that them that should afterwards live ungodly, that we would see something there that we wouldn't live the same way, and because God will do us the same way he did them. And uh, kind of the same thing in this story. Um, I, I'm trying to look at this thing. Now, realize your Old Testament saints are not born again in the sense that we know it. They're not part of the, um, the middle wall partition been broke down and now he's making of twain one new and from Jew and Gentile. And, and so as far as the uh, born again, uh, sealed to the day of redemption and dwelling power of the Spirit of God, I know dispensationally it's a little different, uh, but the saints of God in Hebrews 11 that God gives us for an example of faith were these Old Testament characters. So these were, these were God's people. These are saved men that um, uh, loved God and believed God by faith, and they had righteousness counted to them just like me and you do today by faith. And so um, we can learn a lot of the walk of a Christian in the Christian life. We just don't want to take it out of context. You just have to be careful when you pull an Old Testament story out and try to apply it. You have to be so careful, keep it in its context. But I, I am thinking of this in their situation is very similar to the things that we are facing today. And what is... What is um, really helped me uh, to see when I, when I began reading through a lot of these Old Testament uh, men uh, that, uh, the, that the Lord used greatly. They were flawed men, right? 
I mean, there was no perfect men. I mean, if there was anybody that had a heart for God in the Old Testament, Brother Jones, I would say uh, David had a heart for God, like probably not many men really had a sincere uh, love and, and heart for God. But he was a flawed man. I mean, he made many mistakes along his journey with God. And um, we see several of them. People like to pick on those. But he also did a lot of great things for God. And uh, in the face of a lot of adversity. And uh, so, but what I want to look at here in dealing with Jehoshaphat, looking at the situation that he's in, um, is trying to understand something when we're dealing with this man, especially young people, I want to say this. When we're dealing with these Bible characters, this is a man here, right? I mean, this is a man who's already made mistakes, right? I mean, he's not been the best king. Uh, he's not been the greatest ruler he, in, in a lot of ways. Um, he's just like his daddy in a lot of ways, I think. He did make some mistakes that, I, that, that you can see that his daddy made. And so, um, he, you know, he's a, he's a man, um, a man in whom God's using and, and God will use, but just never forget he's still a man, right? He's not, I think oftentimes we, we compare ourselves among ourselves and we'll look to people who we don't think have ever had any problems, and we'll feel more insufficient. Well, I can't be like them. I, something must be missing in me, and, and they're better than me. They never have problems. They never. I, I would say if you could get dig in and get some reality out of them, you would find out they have problems just like everybody else, right? And so I'm just saying that in the forefront because we know that about these men, but we need to remember that a lot of times and, and quit destroying ourselves because we're not somebody else. I mean, I, not, in the sense of not comparing yourselves among yourselves, which is not wise, for the good thing, I mean, for the bad things, which in context is probably what it's dealing with, we shouldn't do it on the good things either. Well, this man's accomplished this. Well, uh, um, you, you know, God's success is really not measured uh, on a corporate level, right? I mean, it's an individual thing. God's got a will for your life and you've got a race to run and you got crowns to get and if you don't win them nobody wins them you're not in competition with me right we're not in competition uh, who's gonna uh, um, be the best christian today right and so um, just in the good things we don't need to compare ourselves to people and the bad things also now it's good to look at people and see and um, consider them who saw the invisible and you know afterward inherited the promises and and so it's good to look to those things to draw some strength from which is what i want to do here today is uh, what i notice consistently the more i see these men and have great respect for how they the, all that they did especially with the knowledge that they had. Um, it's amazing to me. I have great respect for them. Uh, but also I see more and more about how great God is, right? Not, not, not so much how great David is or how great this man was or this man, but just how great God is. And that's what we're going to see in this story. And we'll start to look at this. I want to mention this in verse number one. It came to pass after this also, the children of Moab and the children of Ammon with them other beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Now, uh, we're in Second Chronicles, again, chapter number 20. So I want to look at just a couple of things here just to set the stage before we get into the, the message, I believe, this morning. I want, to, I want you to notice his problems. And Jehoshaphat had many problems. Um, if you go back, just turn backwards, just, uh, just flip the page and look at chapter number 19, and you're going to see something about this man um, that... Um, 
is uh, uh, just in some ways it helps me. God, God doesn't put the failures of these men in the Bible for, to excuse us being failures, right? He puts them for us to learn from, right? Young people, when you see your parents fall or do something wrong, it's not so that you can use your problems as an excuse and say, well, my parents did this, or uh, see, they're not as happy, or they're not. That's not why God lets you see those things. Let's you see those things so you'll learn from them and not go the same way they did. And same thing in the Bible. We're not using, I'm not using the fact that Jehoshaphat made mistakes to excuse our mistakes in any way whatsoever. But what is encouraging is that God knows what you are, and he's not going to give up on you. If he was going to give up on men, he'd give up, give up on David and had a man murdered. I mean, God's not in the business of saving people and then giving them up and giving them over, right? That's not in his business. Now, he will. It'll come a time if you harden your heart, God will take you out of here. And uh, I believe that. Uh, but overall, God is a God of long suffering, and his mercy endureth forever. And uh, he is, is, is in this thing for the long haul with you. He didn't, he didn't save you to just leave you. God saved you, and he's got a purpose in your life, and his purpose is to conform you to his son. And he's not going to give up on you because he started the work. You didn't start it, right? I mean, salvation's of the Lord. You only sought him because he sought you. Now, you can call me a Calvinist if you want to, but that's not Calvinism. Uh, God sought men. God's always previous. God put it in your heart to seek him. God, God does those things. You love him. What does the Bible say? Not that we love him, but that he loved us, right? And we only love him because he did love us. And, uh, and, and so that doesn't make you a Calvinist. That just makes you biblical uh, because this whole book started in one phrase, in the beginning, God. When there wasn't a man to even seek him, God in his goodness uh, created a man in his image and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So God gets all the glory out of this story. Amen. <laughs> and, uh, and that just excites me because that means if God's getting all the glory out of the end, if we read the end of the story and God gets all the glory, that kind of rhymes, doesn't it? Uh, but uh, I'm say that 10 times over. Uh, but God gets all the glory, then that must mean God was the one who won the battle to begin with, right? So um, it's encouraging to me when I start looking at my situation uh, that the, it's, not our, it's not our abilities in the situation, but our response to his abilities in the situation. And uh, so anyhow, so let's look at this man, chapter number 19. Uh, if you look at the first couple of verses, we know about Jehu in chapter number, uh, verse, verse number two, excuse me. Uh, the son of Hananiah the seer went out to meet him and said to Jehoshaphat, shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. Nevertheless, there are good things found in thee. Isn't that an amazing statement? Here's a man who just, instead of seeking God, which is what he should have done to begin with, he let family ties and blood relations and things like that get him to make an allegiance uh, with an ungodly man who he never should have been in league with to begin with. That's why he said the ungodly and went to battle because he said, your kin's my kin, your flesh is my flesh, my stuff's your stuff. And he, he, he looked at it on a, on, a, on a more family level. And, I, I, and we have to be careful with family. I'm all about family. But my family that's going the wrong direction away from God, there's some fellowship there that's broken. I'm not going with them. I'm not in league with them. We're not going the same direction. Even Jesus said, I come not to be peace, but a sword. And I'm set at variance. I'm set, there's a division in the households, 
Right? That's going to happen. Even those closest to you uh, may try to get you and lead you in a ways away from God. And that's what happened here. And that's no excuse for the king because he should have known better than what he did. But anyhow, he made allegiance with the man. And they went into battle together. And so he's, he's, he's seen this happen before with Benedict. And so he, he comes by this honest, I should say, in a way. And, uh, but it's going to help him to see uh, things later on. Well, let, let, let me go on. And so he said, nevertheless, there are good things found in thee. Isn't that encouraging? I don't, I don't know. You know what I would be thinking at the time? I'd be thinking how awful that I was, how terrible I was. I shouldn't even be involved in this mess. I never prayed about it. The man never even prayed and asked God, should I go do this that I could find? He just decided, hey, this sounds like a great thing to do. Let's do it. He didn't, he didn't seek God. He didn't seek counsel from God. He didn't turn to the Word of God and see uh, and consult the Scriptures. He, he just went into league with the man and went to war for people that uh, were ungodly. And, um, and so what I would be thinking in myself at the time is what a mess I've made. People have died under my watch because of decisions I've made. I'd be thinking the worst about myself, wouldn't you? And, uh, but here the, the man of God says, but nevertheless there's good in thee. Now that to me is an amazing statement after what he's just done. And so what are you trying to say? But I'm, what I'm trying to say is, uh, uh, is, uh, is that God puts something in you that the Bible said can never sin. He, that, that that is born of God and can never sin. It will never die. God has birthed you again into his family and put something good in you. Right? So the only good thing where you can honestly say that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, uh, but God has saved your soul from the wrath to come, and he's birthed you into his family, and by the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, put the Spirit of God in you, and you're not hopeless, you're not helpless, and you're not doomed after the mistake. There is an opportunity from the God of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh chances to get back right with God. Amen. And so while you're still breathing God's air and God's oxygen, you need to set your face towards not what I did yesterday, but what I can do different tomorrow and keep going after God. And so what this man did after his failures, the man of God said, there's some good in thee, and here's what's good in thee. You've prepared your heart to seek God. You didn't the first time, and you messed things up. Look at the failure that this man just committed. He tried to do everything. I mean, the man got him to fool, fool everybody. We know the story about what happened. He went and got the prophets, and they were prophesying good things. And he gets Micaiah, and Micaiah says, no, you're going to die. And then he goes back and forth, and he said, see, he never prophesies anything good to me. And, and so we know the story about all, how all that happened. And, and, and so what the king did instead was to have Jehoshaphat dress up like him. And pretend to be him. And so luckily they figured it out, which I don't say lucky, I believe it's providence. But they figured it out that it wasn't the king. And so they didn't kill Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat made it back and... Uh, and, um, and um so anyhow, so uh, I don't get off on all that. We know that how that story went. But what you've got is you've got a man who's just made a massive failure, a massive wreck out of things. In the grand scheme of things, this man made a wreck of life. And other people's lives. There were other people under his direction and his family that were brought about into this war that they should have never been in to begin with. Right? And so this is a, this is a failure on his part. In my opinion, this man has failed. And so what happens is you get down through after the end of chapter 18 and you come down through uh, the, uh, uh, chapter 18 and, and, and all the battle that takes place there. You get to chapter 19 and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned to his house in peace to Jerusalem. 
So he, he makes it back home, and this is where the, uh, the uh, um, Jehu goes out to meet him and tells him uh, that you have made a big mess, and uh, you have helped the ungodly, and you have loved them that hate the Lord. That's what he did. And um, after that uh, indictment uh, from the man of God, he turns right around and says, but hold on a minute, that's not the end of the story. Nevertheless, there are good things found in thee. Well, what good things are there? Because it's hard to see that there's anything good in you. Uh, there's hard to see that there's a way out. Can I, can I just, let me just depart from this just for a minute. It's hard to see when you get in the midst of a failure and a, and a mistake that you've made in life, it's hard to see that there's any way out. Right, it's like it's really difficult to see. Um, no, there's not any 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 good in me. And and just hold on a minute. I don't mean good in you because there's not in one sense, but in another sense there is. And this is what I think the sense that's been meaning here. But anyhow, it's hard to see that. I mean, all you can see is your failure. My sin. It's like uh, the psalmist said, "My sin is ever before me." I mean, you you can't hardly see the good when you're that you've made out of life. And so um, and the, the man of God is, is very balanced, thank God, and not only preaches and gives what he's done. Now that, that's a preacher. A balanced preacher is not going to say, well, you know, everybody messes up. Right? That's not what he did. He said, you messed up big time, pal. You, you're in a league with those that hate God. You messed up big time. Now that's a real man of God who's going to point out the failure. He's going to put his finger on it like Nathan, thou art the man, right? But then in the same sense, he turns back around at the same time and he balances things back out. Yes, but we're not done yet. God's not through with you. There's some good things that God's seen in you. And what, you, what God has seen in you is that you've prepared your heart to seek God. So here's what I think happens in this man's life. He's tried to, to, to win uh, uh, to, to the battles by going into league with the world. So he's trying to be friends with the world and the ungodly in a sense to try to accomplish about. He's tried trickery, right? He tried to fool the enemy and he's tried everything known to mankind uh, to have some success in his kingdom. He's tried it all. Uh, he, he's, probably, he's probably gone to uh, uh, the 12 uh, steps to a happier you. Right, he's gone through the he's gone through the uh, the physicians and he's gone to the uh, uh, which uh, uh, which Daddy did. Uh, but he, he at thirty five, that's what he'd done. He started out good and ended up depending on the arm of men and depending on men too much. He didn't seek God, and I think that led to him coming to the end of himself. He finally come to the place where we all come to when we get saved. God, I can't save myself. I cannot attain unto the righteousness that you require to be just in heaven. There's no way I can do it. You come to the end of yourself, right? My sin is too great. I, uh, I mean, you just, you, you, you're under that load and you know there's no way to relieve yourself of the guilt. And so what do you do? You cast yourself who unto Jesus for refuge you fled. So you flee unto Jesus, and you and uh, Jesus uh, uh, in Him. You you believe on the Lord Jesus, and and so. Um, but there also comes more times in your life, also outside of the experience of salvation, where you have to come to the end of yourself again. And I, I, I think sometimes we get saved and, uh, and we, we were walking and we're walking well and we're doing well. We have a sense to think we're the ones doing it. And we forget God. Things start going well and you start forgetting, hey, the only reason you're anything that you are is because of what God did. And what God continues to do. Not what he did at Calvary. Not what he did when he saved you 13 years ago. What God did for you this morning or you would have died and never woke up from your sleep this morning. 
Right? So it's all God. It's all God. And um, it's bothering me to death. I'm sorry. They'll have to do without today. I can't do that no more. So, uh, uh, you know, it's not just his salvation. It's not the salvation experience alone in itself um, that God continues every day, every second of your life. He is faithful to you, and that's what he wants from us, right? And we talked about that some. It's not just in the morning where you make that commitment in the morning, okay, I'm going to serve you today, Lord. You better do it on your way to work. You better do it when you get to work. You better do it while you're at work, while your smart aleck boss comes and runs his mouth to you. You better do it again, and then you better do it when you go home before you go inside and take it out on your family, and then you better do it when you get inside and the kids start running in there and they don't give you five seconds to take a shower and somebody's hit somebody and somebody, you better do it again and then you better do it before you lay down and then you better do it again when you wake up. I'm, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a constant decision you make in the morning. It's a constant decision you better make every second of the life, every second of the day because that's God's faithfulness to you. Every second of the day, God is faithful to you. I mean, he's faithfully loving you. He's faithfully serving you. He's faithfully working things together for your good. And you say, well, that's hard. And I didn't do that this morning. So what's the use? I'll tell you what the use is. God's gave you another chance and another breath to do it right the second time. And he deserves that. And so this king sees that. He said, okay, God, God's done this. And, and man, he's seen some great victories, but then he's made a mess again. He starts looking to God. I mean, looking to men and not to God. And so um, we see that happening. But then he comes to an end of himself. So you see the problems in his life. Uh, he comes by from his, uh, from his parentage. He, he's got issues there, uh, which we all do. Uh, we've got a sin nature, if you want to call it, however you want to call it. But you are by nature the children of wrath. And uh, you go forth from the womb speaking and lies because you were conceived in sin, right? And so, uh, some bent in that direction. And so, uh, anyhow, uh, he had that problem to deal with. He had problems just like me and you are facing today. In fact, he is behind in some ways where me and you are ahead of the game. We've got his story to look on. We've got the, 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 we've got the can of the scriptures. We've got Jesus indwell in our mortal bodies. We've got power like no, <laughs> that they've only experienced, I think, in parts when he would come upon them. Now, uh, so, and as far as I'm concerned, in this dispensation, in the age of church age, in the age of grace, we, 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 our, what we have is far better. We're at a greater advantage to serve God than they were. And we're doing less with more, and they did more with less. Why? What, what is the difference between the men of old, and I'll even go back Bible times. I just used Brother Jones's day when they got to experience some times of revival in this country and those men of God that stood and man, they, we, we looked to them and it was like a fainting memory. Y'all know what I'm talking about? When churches used to shout, churches used to worship, they used to praise. I mean, it was a fairly consistent thing. People came in with their eyes on God and they needed God and they worshiped God in the spirit. It seems like something that happened a long time ago, doesn't it? It's stories we heard tell. Or it was, it was something that happened when we first got saved and we experienced maybe the tail end of it. And now it seems like we're in a time of complete drought and desert times. And so we look back on those times like, well, something happened. It must be the times. Well, I understand to a degree. I agree with Brother Mitchell. We are victims of the time to a degree, though. But that's no excuse that you can't be the one worshiping and praising, right? It may not happen on the vast corporate level, but there's no excuse for you not doing it and for me not doing it, right? God's not changed in that sense. God's always where he said he would be, just as faithful. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. 
And that doesn't change in the Laodiceans church. That don't matter what church age, what time, what period, what place, what location, the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. And so uh, uh, we see Jehoshaphat, okay, he's, he's had all these problems. He's had his own set of problems. He's had problems in the family. Um, we know uh, uh, really all that he's uh, uh, accomplished and, and all that he's failed in coming down through chapter number 19. Then you get into the first verse. Now look what he does when you go on down 19. And what he does, uh, look at them, um, verse number four. So he dwelt at Jerusalem and he went out again through the people from Beersheba to Mount Ephraim and brought them back unto the Lord God of their fathers. He led them back to God. Right, he tore down the groves just as uh, um, uh, just as had been done in times past. He had, he had he had stopped all this idol worship. So he, I mean, he's done some really good things uh, 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 in the same time, uh, but he's also done some some pretty bad stuff. And that's a man, you know. And so um, then he comes back here and he sets up judges at the end of chapter number nineteen and tells them how to rule. I wish he'd speak to our judges today. But anyway, because he tells them how to judge. You better remember, you're not judging for men, you're judging for God. And uh, so uh, anyway, uh, so I hope they remember that when this thing goes to court. Anyway, and so we get down to chapter number 19, then chapter number 19, we start in chapter number 20. And now, after he just, and I wonder if he was confused by this, because it was like, okay, I messed up. I made a mistake. God delivered me from that mistake. That would have to be God. God is the reason that he didn't die on that battlefield. Because they thought he was, uh, that what was supposed to happen is they're supposed to kill him. and not, So God, he should have died. God's provision, God's providence, God helped him, delivered him through it, allowed him to get back home in peace. And he, he, he's told this, look, you made a mistake, but God's found some good in you. You prepared your heart to seek God. Then he leads the people of God back to the Lord. And he's a, he's a great example of character and how to do that. And so I'm sure he's feeling in a way, he's feeling like, okay, God didn't cast me off. He didn't break me off. Right? He's got to be feeling decent about himself. Well, yeah, that's the good things and the bad things, I realize, but that's path. God's forgiven me. And now he said he's seen some good things in me. I prepare my heart to seek God and look at the good things that I'm doing. That's, I'm just guessing now. The Bible doesn't say this. But I'm guessing he's probably feeling okay about himself. Yeah, I messed up, but. And then comes chapter number 20. And it's like, now, God, if you were going to kill me, why didn't you do it in chapter 19? Does that not make sense? I'm like, God, why in the world? Do you have to know that this man was thinking this? Why in the world, God, would you deliver me only to allow all these enemies to come against me? Has anybody thought about something like that before? God, why would you save me and then allow this? God, why would you put a tree there to begin with? (laughs) Oh, man. You're not going to get an answer from me from that. So anyway... That's got to be, to a degree, how he's feeling about himself. And then, well, I'm not, I'm not going to say that because actually his actions kind of bear out something different. But what I am going to say, at least, it would be very logical for him to think that way, would it not? God, you've saved me in chapter 19. You forgave me. You've, you've sent the man of God said this to me, and, I, and all this is great. And then only to allow about every army, army you could amass, I look up, we don't detect them, and they're 15 miles south of us. I mean, that makes no sense at all. Why would you do that? I mean, now that would be logical. I don't know if he thought that way because his actions don't show that he thought that way, but that would be a logical thought. Now, here would be the next logical progression that he would make. Would it not be to do what he's used to doing and what his family's used to doing and start turning them in? So he, I'm, I'm surprised he didn't send writers out. Hey, go back to Israel. We helped them. See, he's in Judah. I, you, we helped you. Get over here and help us. 
Go, uh, go, go to other kings that, uh, uh, that they spared and places that they went and helped and, and, and try to get the help from the world and say, hey, we've helped you when you're struggling. We need help now. The enemy's come against us now. He, he sent dispatch, sent riders, get, get all the uh, army together, get all the weapons you can find, get all the guns. I want a gun in the hand of every mammal and every uh, young man, every little kid, teach them how to shoot, and uh, we're going to take care of this crowd, Right? Now, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do any of that. Let's go back to chapter 20 and let's see what happened. I'm going somewhere now. We'll see his preparation. We've seen his problems, but look at his preparation. He's prepared his heart in chapter number 19, and he's ready for chapter 20. Can, can I say something about that? God's always dealing in matters of the heart. We see it as a great enemy's 15 miles south. But what we always need to remember, there are enemies on the outside. Now, ours is a little different, right? Because we wrestle not against uh, flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spiritual weakness, high places, and the weapons of warfare are not carnal. But this is a type of the spiritual warfare in the life of a believer, in my opinion. So, so he has prepared his heart. So his heart's ready for chapter number 20. How do you know his heart's ready? Because he doesn't go seeking help from everybody else. He doesn't turn to mamma. He doesn't turn to mama. He doesn't call the preacher. He doesn't call, he doesn't call anybody. He, just, he declares a fast and starts praying, right? So what, what, what are you trying to say? What I'm trying to say in our day, the only thing to fix the problems that are in most Baptist churches is not going to be more programs. It's not going to be more people. It's not going to be a better personality in the pulpit. It's going to be God's people on their knees before God in prayer is the only answer that God's going to see us through this drought that we're in. In most churches, I'm telling you, it's prevalent out there. Every, most every independent Baptist church you, you go to today, it's like they're in a drought. There's just no fire. There's no life. There's just, uh, I think that's a big reason why our young people are going to the charismatic churches because they think there's life there. Now, it's a false life. It's not life. It's not, it's not but they see life and excitement and, 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 and passion, and, and, and they see those things, and they're, they're allured by it, but, but, but that's not wise. Don't do that, right? Because that would be like Jehoshaphat saying, hey, y'all are a mess. You got these armies coming against you. I'm going to go over here and hang out with this other crowd. No, that's not what he does. So the answer is not to abandon. The answer is not to complain. The answer is not to attack each other and be consumed of ourselves. The answer is for corporate prayer for the people of God to get so troubled about their families. That's what happens here. He's so, the families come together. They're troubled about their own children. They're troubled about their, their, their grandchildren. They're troubled about the condition that they're in. And if we're not troubled about the condition of our Baptist churches, something's bad wrong with you. We ought to be troubled at the situation that we're facing in our Baptist churches. We ought to be troubled by that. Troubled by the lack of care. Troubled by the unfaithfulness. Troubled at the unlife, uh, unlifeliness of our, uh, of our services at times. And the, and the lack of worship and the lack of love and care. And there's a, there's a lack of holiness. Our churches are in trouble. Now the gates of hell won't prevail against us. But I believe just like he said in Revelation, I have somewhat against thee. Doesn't mean we ain't messed up. So what's the answer? Well, what was this man's answer? So let's look at that. So we see his problems, then we see his preparation. He prepared his heart first. Young people, you can get in alive and say, well, I'll just be happier if I can get away from mom and dad. I'll be happier if I can change location. No, you won't. You'll be the same miserable wretch with what you've got today. 
And some of you kids are unhappy because you're ungrateful for what you've got today. And when you change your location, you'll just be as ungrateful over there as you are at home. Right? Change your location is not going to fix the problem. That's what happens in a lot of churches. You get people that, well, they'll go over here and they'll see a little excitement. And so they'll go over here. And then they'll go and there's, there's, there's nobody that's got a heart and a burden to want to be a solution to the problem instead of just going around and finding where somebody's already got it right. Well, who's going to help the churches that are in drought? The ones that are drying up? The ones that are... Right? And so the answer is not to abandon. The, 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 the answer is not to change location. The answer is not to uh, look around to the world for answers. Well, if we'd get our president in, we'd do better. No, we wouldn't. We ain't done no better as Christians under Trump as we did with Obama. The White House should serve no... I mean, it, it, they, they have really... No, should have nothing to do with our spiritual condition. Right? But we let it happen, right? And we let those things happen, but that shouldn't be. So the, so the answer's not there. And uh, well, well, then how are we going to go from where we are today on an individual level now and then corporately because this was a corporate problem, but then how are we going to go from here to there? What's going to bridge the gap? Well, what bridges the gap and in your incapacity and in your problems? What bridges the gap between you and the solution to your problem? <laughs> Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace. <laughs> Is that not what bridges the gap and in the, in the inadequacies of the, of the flesh and the, and the human ability and human resources is to call upon the God of, of, of all grace? That's where we're at. You know, you know the, the, where we're at spiritually, the, the, we, in, in our churches, the programs have not changed. We know what to say. We know how to say it. We go through the routines. We know how to do the form. We know how to sing the songs. We know how to uh, present ourselves. We know how to go through the program. We, we know how to do that. Amen? You all know what I'm talking about? We know how to dress to make people think we're right. We know how to look the part. Right? Just like that one man said, they should, people shouldn't be upset about wearing a mask in churches because they've been doing it for years. And I'd say he's probably right about that, <laughs> Uh, let's not go down that street. All right. So we see, let's look at the problem again. Or let's, let's see his preparation. We see, we see his preparation, and we could go back and look a little bit more at that. I don't want to do that. Let's look at his predicament, okay? So the predicament that he's in. He sees the children of Ammon, and with them other beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. And so there came, uh, in verse number two, uh, and told him, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on the side of Syria, and behold, they be in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Engedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So what was the answer to this problem? You're talking about a massive army. And an army he's kind of mad about because they could have killed these people a long time ago and God wouldn't let them. Now, that's another thing that doesn't make sense to me. But God in his foreknowledge, maybe he knew this was going to happen and maybe he had a purpose in it. And maybe the purpose was to affect one, one in the heart of one person and get them right with God. See, we don't see the big picture sometimes. Right. And we need to realize sometimes God allow things to befall us because he may have in, heart, in his mind that that situation might help one person that he's wanting to help. And so would you be willing, uh, and I thought about this the other day, somebody's got to be the Job that will endure, that will show us the end of the Lord. 
How would I know the end of the Lord? When you've gone through, nobody outside of Jesus probably suffered like that man. And what did we come to at the end? Not God's a tyrant, God's pitiful and full of mercy. That's what I saw about God when you look at Job. <laughs> but somebody had to go through it, right? And so are you willing to allow those things to come into your life uh, to, let, to, to let God deal with somebody else? Now that's, that's not the message, but that's a good thought to have. Because we're so selfish, we think when we're going through something, God, why did you let this happen to me? Anybody ever say stuff like that? Yeah, it's all about us. I don't deserve this, God. Those kind of sayings. And so he didn't say that. He had prepared his heart to seek the Lord. Now, I want to tell you what I think about this man. I think he's tried everything that there's known to man to probably try to win a battle. Anybody that would dress up like somebody else and risk losing his life to win a fight, He's, he's got some guts, right? If somebody hates you and they want to kill you, I'm not going to try to dress up and look like Hunter. Now, it'd take me months, years, to get down to your weight. But uh, I love you, but I'm not going to, right? I mean, so this man, I mean, now he made some mistakes, but I think he's come to the end of himself. I think he finally comes to the place that he realizes there is vain is the help of man. And see, what I think we are doing oftentimes, even not in just our individual life, I think in, as a corporate level in a church, we're waiting for some other man to do something. And I'm going to show you why that that doesn't even happen in this man's life. I think, and I've done this often, I've gone to revivals hoping that that man will do something to help me, right? Has anybody ever done that? You're hoping that that preacher says or does something to change your life. Well, was your heart even prepared to seek the Lord? Are you hoping that he prepared his and that he helps you and you don't have to do anything? Right? Everybody ever thought like that? Am I making any sense? Did you prepare your heart? Maybe, maybe, God, maybe, maybe, how about this? Maybe you're the one that comes in with your heart full of God and you stand up and say, hey, I heard God speak and here's what God said. And the preacher doesn't even say a word. Because that's what happens here after they pray. It wasn't Jehoshaphat that gets the word from God. It's somebody else in the congregation that's praying. That just seems, I don't know, it just seems, it just seems uh, foreign anymore to us. It's like we, we come in with expectancy, and what we're expecting is for somebody else to do what we should be doing. Say, so, well, nobody's shouting, nobody's praising, nobody's worshiping, nobody's, everybody's lifeless, everybody's dead. I mean, uh, this, the choir's dead, the specials are dead, and the preaching is okay, but it's not, the spirit's not moving. And, 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 and we'll sit there critical of everything else and never turn the, the, the looking glass back around on ourselves and say, well, what did you do during this service? Right? You ever, you ever tried to get up and preach when crickets are, are, are going off around you and people fall asleep and looking at each other and texting and being on set? You ever tried to do that? You better not depend on me sometimes, right? You better come in with your heart ready to worship God. God might use you to set me on fire. That's happened, I don't know how many times, Brother John, I'm sure it's happened to you, but you've been sitting there going, Lord, you're going to have to help me. I don't know if I can even hardly preach. And man, some old saint of God will get stirred up and it'll stir my heart up and I'm like chomping at the pit ready to preach. Right? But see, I can't depend on you. You can't depend on me. Vain is to help a man. What we have to do on an individual level, it can't be my wife getting right. It can't be my children getting right. It can't be mom and daddy getting right. Young people look up here. It can't be all those others around you in the youth group. It's got to be you getting a heart that has a desire to want to worship and seek God. And you do that. I don't care what anybody else is doing. 
That's what you've got to determine and, and say, God, I want you to help me and I want you to help others around me and I'm willing, if you'll use me, I'll do whatever you say to do. I want to be a help. I want to be a blessing. Not what can I get, but what can I do, right? And you can't often uh, rely on others because who knows what they went through, right? I mean, I think about you men working all day on a Wednesday and coming in here on Wednesday night. It's all you can do to drag in here sometimes, right? You fought the devil and fought your boss and everybody around you all day. And, and I'm, I'm thinking, Lord, help me to help them because I didn't have to fight that hateful boss today. God delivered me from him. Right? So God used me to help them. And so we, we've got to get into the position. You, you didn't see Jehoshaphat stand up and say, okay, which one of you all sinned and caused this army to come down here? That's not what he did. He didn't stand up and say, who did this? You better. You didn't hear him stand up and scold anybody. He didn't stand up and attack anybody. He didn't stand up and try to be. He, 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 he didn't do any of that. He just humbled himself before God and said, you know what? I am so tired of trying to fight these battles and fix them myself. I think that's what the man learned, brother. I really do. I think he finally got to a battle, and he saw this impossible army, and he thought, you know what? I've tried everything else. I, we, we, don't even have the, we don't have the manpower, the know-how. We don't have the resources. We don't have, I, don't, I don't have it within myself. Can, and I'm getting way ahead of my message. It's on down here. But can I say, we don't have within ourselves. There's times I don't even know what to pray, let alone how to fix the problem. I mean, I, I, and, and, and I don't have within myself the capability to fix it. Neither do you. I can't go uh, to Brother Nathan and say, Brother Nathan, I've got this problem. I want you to fix it. He can't fix it, right? Well, we, we, need, we need the church on fire again. And so, I, Hunter, I need you to do this and get church on fire. I can't depend on you, right? I mean, I, I've got I've to search my, my own heart, my own self. And, but, and the reality is you don't have what it takes. You don't have in your possession what it takes to, to set a church on fire for God. You don't have what, what it takes to, to, to bring revival. I don't have what it takes. None of us have, and I, what I'm saying is it, it, it is because there's some expectation from us. I'm not saying you got to repent and the prayer and stuff that goes on, but what I'm saying is none of us could do anything with what we have to bring revival in this church. Nothing. You can stand up and you can, say, you can try your best and say, I'm just going to praise God, and if God's not in it, it's just words that fall on deaf ears and you sit back down. Right? You can try to muster it up. You can try to work it up. You can try to do I've seen people do it. And I thought, well, Lord, thank I appreciate them trying. <laughs> At least they tried. <laughs> but, uh, but you can tell. Obviously, I've seen a preacher get up in a meeting who has been anointed of God to preach and get up in a meeting and the thing still stayed dead. Why? Because he didn't have what it took either. Right? I mean, he can preach a message. He can be on fire. And it can do absolutely nothing for you if your heart's not right. So what I'm saying is none of us have the resources, none of, and that is what this man sees. He sees a great army. He sees an absolute devastation, an impossible situation that he's facing. And what does he do with this impossible situation? Cry, complain, attack everybody else for not, well, where you guys should be up here already? No. He just bows his knee and gets down on his face. He calls a fast throughout the country. Look here. Let's, let's read over it and we'll see, we see the predicament that he's in. In verse number two, uh, um, in verse number three, he feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast. Now, do you know there's Baptist preachers who believe you don't have to seek the Lord? There's Baptist preachers that preach that saved people don't have to seek the Lord. They have derailed if they were ever on the right track to begin with. <laughs> You better seek God. 
because you don't have what it takes to fix the situation even after you're saved. Your flesh is just as vile as it ever was. God quickens your spirit, crucifies your flesh, hands your, your quickened spirit, your dead flesh, and says to present it a living sacrifice. Now how in the world can you take a dead body and present it a living sacrifice, a body that God's killed and you're supposed to reckon dead, but present it as a live sacrifice? <laughs> what? I don't have, does anybody else have the resources to do that? I can't even understand what I just said, to be honest with you. I'm hoping it was right. I don't know. So we don't even know. the. I don't even know how to do that, God. How, how am I supposed to even do these things? And so the, the battle, the, the situation in our day, goodness gracious, uh, the situation in our day, it almost seems just as impossible as what this man's facing. We are completely outnumbered by the enemy that surrounds us. And if we're in the last days of the last days that I believe we are, the enemy has already destroyed so many. He's already, he's already uh, caused the, the candlestick to be removed here. And he's caused the fall of this Christian. And this one's become a castaway. And, and man, he's just he's defeating one and making, uh, making grounds against the, the remnant. That, that's how I picture things. And so there's a remnant left, but before Jesus comes to catch his bride away, I believe there's a, there's a remnant that's left, and it seems like they're, they're enclosed in in the last days by the evil forces. Is that, does that make sense to anybody? And so God wants us to stand firm and hold fast which thou house to the end, and, and don't let those things, and, and keep on. And so, and so he's telling us this, but it's like we're sitting here looking going, God, it lo- does it look like it's working? Right? The parking lots get emptier. People's hearts are getting colder. It doesn't look like it's working. It looks like the enemy's going to win. That's the way it looks. If you, if you look at it on a human level, it, we're, the odds are stacked against us. The odds are against you young people turning out right. They're against you. The odds are against a man who's left the Lord and gotten cold and gotten indifferent and walked away. The odds of him making it back are against him. And God always specializes when the odds are against him. When the odds are against you, it can be 10,000 to 1 and God will make up 15,000 and it'll be 15,001 against 10,000. And you only asked him for 11,000. But he'll send 15. Does that make sense? Exceedingly and abundantly above. And so it looks like we're, we're in case, and we gotta go, but it looks like we're gonna lose. It looks like it's impossible. And, the, and, and, and unless I had a, a, a purpose in, our, in ourselves uh, to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, I had fainted. And so if we keep looking around at all the, the failures and, and our own failures and everybody else, we're gonna faint. We're not gonna make it. So what we're going to do, I don't even know how long, in fact, all we have here is him being told that the enemy's great that's coming against him. He didn't see them. And just at the word of the preaching of the word, he just heard the word and he heard and he feared and he got down on his face before God and said, God, if you don't help us, we're going under. And now here's what I'm really wondering. Nobody knows. But if Jehoshaphat would have got down by himself, would God have still delivered them if nobody else joined him in prayer? I don't know. There's no way to know that, right? Because he certainly could. He could take the one man and do it. God doesn't need numbers, right? But I just wonder if what he's doing here to these 
I wonder, because it's not just him, everybody gets under the load. And I'm going to tell you, in our day, we're not going to make it if just the preacher gets right. It's not, it's not going to work if just the deacons get right. It's not going to work if just the Sunday school teachers teach a good lesson. It's not, it's not going to work. It's going to take the corporate body coming together, all recognizing our insufficiency and the possibilities of failure, and we call upon our great God. That's the only answers that we have. And so uh, uh, um, let me just end. I was going to preach this whole chapter. Is that funny? I think it is. We probably shouldn't have service tonight and just preach the whole chapter. All right. Let's, okay. Verse number, okay. Verse number four now. We're going to see, well, look at verse number three. You'll see, you'll see, you'll see, uh, he proclaimed a fast and he's going to seek the Lord and we're going to see his prayer. But first, I want you to see the people in verse number four. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to do what? See what Jehoshaphat was crying about. See how great the army was. Um, uh, see if uh, uh, who all was going to come help. And, and No, they all came with this purpose. They came to seek the Lord. And anybody in my life that doesn't want to seek the Lord, there's going to get very limited amounts of my time. I cannot spend my time with people that are not going the same direction I'm going. And there may, there may be some that have tucked-tailed and run out of here. It doesn't say they did, but I am saying that is possibility in the Bible. There are some that they tuck-tail and they run, and they go down to other places when the famines come. They'll go down to Moab, and they'll go to other places when things get rough. But I'm telling you, when things get rough, God's people are expected to seek the Lord, right? And I don't want to be around anybody who's going to pull me away from seeking the Lord. Because if they're doing that, they're not of God, and they don't need to be in my life to begin with. And I I'm telling you, you've got to set yourself and purpose in your heart. I am going to seek the Lord because that is the only way we're going to get out of this mess. And so they all came together for that purpose. I've talked to many of you. Many of you say the same thing. It's not, it's, it's everywhere. I, I mean, if we had Brother Jones testify places he's been throughout 40-something years of preaching, I mean, it, it's happening right now like I've never seen it before. If there's discouragement. People are so discouraged and down. They're, feel, they're fearful. They're afraid. We've got our eyes off the Lord. And, and I'm telling you, the Spirit's quenched. And we've gotten our hearts have just gotten far from God. And we've left our first love. And we're, and we're seeking help around the world and, and we're, we're looking for help everywhere else and we've gotten ourselves in the same predicament that they were in and the answer that God showed me to our problem is that we're going to have to come together as a unit as a corporate body not one person left behind and we're going to have to get on our faces and seek God that's the only answer we've got because I don't have it within myself. I can't redo the music. I can't redo the, the programs. I can't get special. I can't have this certain man come in to preach. I can't decide to have this group come sing and change anything. It's not going to change nothing. Right? I can't go outside and find something else. I can't. Uh, I mean, there, there's no other answer apart from God's people seeking God. There's just no other answer for it. And in fact, if our hearts are ready... And days gone by, there's been, there's been teenage boys set revivals off and say little simple words, didn't they, Brother Shane? Wasn't, didn't, didn't expound some great message. They just said little simple words, and it set churches on fire. Why? Because people's hearts were already ready. And so their hearts are together to seek the Lord. Now, 
you see the people in this corporate involvement. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And look at, look at what he said. He's going to, in this prayer, he's going to first appeal to God's power. This is one of the greatest things I've reread in a while. Let's read this together. So Jehoshaphat stood up in the congregation of the people. And uh, he's in the house of the Lord. Is this the, the, the ground of truth, the pillar? This, any hope for America, it'll be from the church, right? It'll be churches getting right with God. And no matter how insignificant you think you are and what part you play in the body, there's not an insignificant member of my body, nor of Christ. So he stands before the new court, and here's what he says, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? Now he's appealing to his power. And rulest over all the kingdoms of the heathen. Do we believe that? No. We believe that somebody's going to have to figure out what Dominion did with all them votes to get Trump in. That's what we believe. There's somebody that rules far over Donald Trump. And I hope he gets in. I do. But that's not where my hope lies, right? So he appeals to the power. He appeals to God's power. And says, now God, you rule in all the heavens. There's, everything is subject to thee. Basically is what he's saying. God's got all power, right? We don't have the power. We need power. Unto them, as many as received him, to them gave he why? Because you didn't have power to become a son of God. So he gave you power. And then that same power, he's going to use to conform you. So, yes, but that doesn't mean we don't seek the Lord. Why? Because I believe at times it's just like the fullness of the Spirit. You can be full and you're not full. You're full and you're not full. You're full and you're not full. Right? So, so having the power now doesn't mean you'll have the power tomorrow. You're going to have to repent, get back on your face and seek God. Now, that's what I believe. One, one time bathing don't do it all. You don't, you don't take a shower once a week. Right? And we consistently seeking the Lord. Now, so here's what he does. He appeals to God's power. And so this is, what I, this is what our churches need. This is what we need on an individual level. God, we don't have the power. Neither does anybody else. We've looked everywhere. We've tried everything. We've tried to lower the standard to see if we could get more people in. That didn't work. Right? Churches lowered standards. They said, well, we don't really, we'll, we'll kind of ease off on modesty. We'll ease off on uh, dealing with fornication. And we won't deal with all these other things much. Try to just encourage people. And uh, we'll, we'll draw them in that way. And they got them in for a little while. And they, they, they left because they were never of them. Right? <laughs> that didn't work. I've seen churches do that. That's not going to work. Right? We can't change the situation. It is what it is. And, but God, we didn't have the power to do it. We've tried. We've done everything we know to do. And we cannot affect change in the lives of people. Does anybody else kind of get tired sometimes of looking at dead people in the face, people on dope, people on drugs, and knowing God can change them and feeling powerless to, to affect any change in their life? And you go to God and you say, God, I'm tired of looking dead people in the face and being unable to really change their life at all. I have no power. And it's not our power, see. But anyway, I, I want to go on. He appeals to the power. Hey, I've been in, I've been in churches and the power of God, brother. We've had it. We've had it. I've seen it. I know. It, it's a, 
there's a power that comes along with God's presence. You know, you just be in the church and nobody's shouting, nobody's running the aisles and swinging from chandeliers, but man, it is the power of God. It's so, his presence is so, boy, I long for that. Do you? I know we got to go home, but I long for that. I'm so tired. I'm so tired of the routine. I'm so tired of coming in, leaving at this time, and going to eat, and going home, and coming back down, and the same thing over and over and over. The same suits, the same ties, the same shoes, and the same person saying something, the same person mad about something, and the same person with no power to sing, the same person with no power to preach, and everybody leaves the same way they come in, and, and we try to prop it up and say, well, it was a pretty good service, and, and well, it wasn't this bad, and we try the best that we can to prop it up and uh, but we know deep down in our hearts there's something missing we do it in our own life well I wasn't once a Christian I was I'm not walking in the spirit like I used to I'm not doing this that I used to I'm not it feels, feels like I'm just a powerless Christian I got no peace I got no nothing and you'll excuse it away well uh, this person's just as bad and this church is going through it and that person's going through it and so it's probably the time we'll excuse it away but we know something's missing we know we don't have God like we used to. We know that. And you know what the, the good thing is? We can because he's not gone nowhere. Oh, we got to just, we can't. I don't want to do well, Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation and said, Lord God of our Father, you're in, you're, uh, thou art God in heaven. You rule us over the kings of heathen. And in thy hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee. Now, that's the true yea and amen statement that he's appealing to God. That's exactly right. And God, you've got the power to do this. That's what he's saying, right? You, it may not be his will, but don't ever doubt God's character or his ability. Right? If thou canst believe. Lord, you can heal me if you want to. And he says, thou canst believe. <laughs> so don't, don't doubt God's character. Well, God doesn't even want to help us. He's abandoned us. Oh, no, 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 no. He hasn't either. Don't, don't doubt God's character. He said he made a promise. You can count on it. He'd never leave you, right? Don't doubt his character. So he has the power. He has the ability. And look, now, now he looks, and uh, I'll give you the word that I use. He, he, deal, he, he appeals to God's providence. Art, thou, art not thou our God who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gavest it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend, forever? God, you made a promise. Your providence, you enabled this to happen. You allowed us to come through here. You allowed us to conquer these lands. You gave it to our people, and you promised him that it would be our place forever, and they're coming against it. He appeals to the providence of God. And then he, now he's, he's about to stand on the promises. Now, we've we got to get to the good thing, and I'll do it quick. Look, he deals with the providence, and then he deals with the provisions before we get to the promise. Now, so he deals with his providence. Hey, has God not providentially brought you to this place in your life? Now, now, now listen, uh, I don't mean that it, it, God's will, that you did something wrong. I'm not saying God's, God providentially led you to do wrong. That's not, that's not what I mean. What I'm saying is God saved you and you're alive today by the providence of God and you are physically where you are today because of God. There's no accident. It wasn't our, it wasn't, we just didn't so hap to land on the field that belonged to Boaz, right? That was God's providence. So he appeals to that and say, God, this is what you did. Then he deals, then he, then he appeals to God's, to his provisions. And said, uh, you gave us it to the seed of Abraham and thy friend forever. And they dwelt therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, 
Can I say something? It's because this is the way I feel, and I, and I want to be as irreverent as I possibly can be, and I promise I'm done. I want to be as reverent as I can possibly be, but does this church belong to God or does it not? Men didn't build this church. <laughs> I'm talking about the church, right? Men didn't build this church, and that's no the physical building. God, I'm talking about the people, the body. God built this church, did he not? And did he not buy them with his own blood? He bought you with his blood. He purchased you and made provisions and promises. And, and, and this man is turning around and saying, now God, reverently as I possibly know how, you said the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. You said that you stand at the door and knock and that any man will open up. And I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing here, if God said that he would come in and sup, if you'd open the door, then if you'll open the door, God will come in and sup with you. And I feel like we're doubting God's character. Well, God, you said you'd do this. This is your church, but you're letting it fall under. No, he's not. God's just on the throne in charge running business like he's always done. And if he doesn't deliver us from this little battle, you talk about confusion, he's, he could just pluck us up out of here. And may just let him have it. I don't know. Now, I'll do this quickly. Now, uh, okay. So we've got to get to this. God, I feel like if we leave, we're going to. So who does out? You drove out the inhabitants, Lord. Look at what you've done in the past. Why would you deliver me then and then just bring me here? See, he, he appeals to the past. When God, God, when you saved me, this is what you did for me. You drove out these enemies before. I didn't deserve it then. I don't deserve it now. Have you changed? No, God made some promises to you. Right? We're going to get there. And so he appeals to those promises. God, you've done this before. Look at the past. They dwelt therein and they built the sanctuary for thy name. Can I say something? There ought to be some holy firmness in our stand that this church belongs to God and I'm not going to let it be taken over and let the Masons be meeting here in two months. That's what's happening in England. Them churches used to be on fire for God, and now they're up for lease, they're up for sale, they ain't a church, they ain't a person around. No telling who's meeting there now. I don't want that to happen to you. God, this is your church, it was dedicated in your name, you founded it, you started it, this is your house, this is where you, and we are dwelling therein, and we're dependent on you to protect us. That's what he's saying. And you've got the power to do it, and you told us you would do it. Now do it. In a sense, reverently, that's what he's saying. Is it any different in our day? God, we need your presence. I, I'm not even too concerned about the enemies. I'm more concerned about your presence. And you promised God if my people would turn from their sin. And so now we've got a responsibility in it. But now look, let's go quickly and read through it. He gave us thy seat, and they dwell therein. In verse number 9, if when evil cometh upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, which is what we're going through now, it's a pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house, and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and we cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou will hear and help. And I want to promise you one thing. You may not feel, I want to deal with this on an individual level, but I'm thinking of the church. But I want to deal with this on an individual level. On an individual level, when you're sitting there and you feel like you're going under, I can promise you this much, this much I know for a fact. God will help you. Yeah. 
Now, I don't know what you're missing in between. I don't know the message you're making and what God wants you to see and what you got to repent of. I'm not talking about all that. But God has a desire in his heart. He wants to help you and he can help you. And that's the same way I feel about our church. God wants to help. He can help and he will help. Why? Because his name's on the line. See, it's not my integrity. It's God's word. He promised it. Right? It's his name on the line. It's for his name's sake. Not mine. I don't want to be vindicated of mine enemies. They're his enemies. They're not coming after us. They're coming after him. Right? The spiritual battles we fight, the enemies that are coming against you only come against you because they hate who's in you. And if you don't win, uh, God, so, so uh, why would God do all that just to abandon you and allow you to lose? That is not the case, right? God wants to help, he can help, and he will help. Now what you need to see in between that, I don't know. Maybe you need to get like this man and get down on your face before God. I don't know what you need to get rid of. But look here, you said you'd help. Now, I just, let me do as quick as I can, because uh, we've been so... You've been so patient. Now he deals with the providence, he deals with provisions, and he stands upon the promises. Verse number 10, look at the promises. And now behold, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, from uh, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade. If you go back to Deuteronomy and other places, you can see that. When they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. God, we're only facing this enemy because you wouldn't let us beat them to begin with. Now, that's a true statement. Then he comes back with a second statement and says, not only that, in particular, who the enemy is. Come on now. (laughs) I I want to do as quick as I can. I know you're tired. But I only face the enemy because God's allowed me to face him. God could have destroyed him a long time ago. I only face him and his little minions. I don't ever have probably important enough to deal with him directly, but uh, his uh, little host that he dispatches against me, I'm only doing that because God wouldn't defeat him a long time ago. Now, that's God's purpose. That's God's business. I'm not, it's not no attack, but that's just what, and God's got a purpose in that. Which he purposed in himself. I don't know what all those purposes are, but I know it's that's God's business. Okay, so... So he says a true statement there. We're only facing this enemy because you allowed it. Now, now can I say where you're at now? Maybe to a degree. Maybe just something God's allowed to come in your life. I don't know the situation, but he's right in what he said here. God, we could have defeated them. You told us not to. We obeyed you, and you still allow them to come destroy us. And I don't know about you, but this is exactly how Brother Allen and I felt before. I'm hurrying as fast as I can. But I can't. Uh, he said... Uh, I have felt like, God, I give myself to your service. I gave my money, my time. I burnt my future up. I'm thinking these are thoughts that I've had now because I like to feel sorry for myself. In totality, that's probably not as true as I thought it was. But I thought, my purpose in my heart, God, I'm giving myself completely to you. There's, I can take you to the place where I said, God, you can have my future. You can have my money. You can have my time. You can have it. I want you to have all of me. With all that I knew in me, that's what I meant. And then I come around to a place in my life, and it was like, and this is what I get for it? Anybody ever had thoughts like that? I've tried to be faithful. These people over here don't even tithe. 
This man won't even pay his taxes. This man won't even pay people back. I've been tithing. I've been giving emissions. I've been doing this. And you let my car run out ragged? Come on now. <laughs> Who's ever thought like that? God, you delivered me and all I wanted to do. I had this boy right here tell me that, Brother Jones. He said, I've seen you give your life for God, for God and God seemed to abandon you. That's the way he felt. Nothing could be further from the truth. God didn't abandon me. But that's how you feel, kind of. You feel like, God, I give myself. I did everything I could do. And then you let all this happen. Why would you do that? And, and now, now, that's just human speaking. Now, so then he says that about God and said, God, these enemies are only coming against us because you allowed them. You wouldn't, you wouldn't let uh, them be defeated a long time ago. And then he said, not only that, but where I'm at now, this land that I stand upon, this church that I'm in is your church. And you promised that you would help the church by the exceeding greatness of his power, right? So God, you promised these things. And you know what? There's times, now when I say I have thoughts like that, you, you think them that you don't believe them, but you can't help but think them, right? But it's like, I don't believe that, but God, that's how I feel. That's just the truth. And, uh, and, so, uh, and so that's what happens. He says, now God, and so what, it, what, it, what you have to come around to, can I say something? Can, this man was standing upon scripture. He wasn't alive when the armies came up out of Egypt. He wasn't in that. He didn't see that firsthand. Where did he hear that God promised a land and that he gave it to Abraham, his friend, and that he promised him some things? Where did he learn that at? He learned it in the scriptures. <laughs> so what, what gave him such great confidence in God? The word of God did. God, I found a verse, and if this ain't true, nothing is, that said you promised to Abraham and his seed forever. Now preserve us. Now, that sounds cocky and arrogant, and I don't mean for it to, but that's how God wants you to think, friend. You look at these promises in this word, and God made you a promise, and you stand upon it. God, you promised to be my help. <laughs> you promised to be a dear friend to me. You promised to go with me to the end of the world, the end of the earth. And you stand upon those promises. I don't care how ugly it looks. And I'm going to stand on them today. God promised that he wasn't going to let his church go down. And he promised that if there was people that would humble themselves and they would seek his face and they would turn from their wicked ways, that God would send some healing. And I'm telling you that he didn't make that promise to me directly, but that's God's character. That if any man will turn from his ways and with his whole heart seek God, God will let that man find him. And I want to find him. Because you can't find him in a lot of Baptist churches anymore. So he stands firm on these promises. Verse number 11, behold, I say they reward us. They come to us to get it. Now they're trying to take what you promised in the possession. So verse 12, he said, oh, our God, will thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. I can't tell you the number of times I've quoted that verse. God, I'm going to tell you something. In your Christian life, if you haven't gotten here, you will come to a place where you realize not only do you not have the provisions to deal with it, you don't even have the knowledge of what to even ask him to do. There's been some situations that I've been faced with in people's lives, counseling people, trying to help them, and I'll be honest with you, I don't know what to tell them. It looks bad. The situation looks awful. I don't know how to help you. I, it really, to be honest, it doesn't look like it's probably going to go very well for you. Right? The, the odds are stacked against you. Not many people ever get back. 
In my 13 years of being saved and preaching, I have never seen one single person get out of church for years at a time and ever get back. They've come back for a little bit of time and they fall back away again. That doesn't change God's promise. Right? It's hard. It's difficult. And you'll have to purpose in your heart, but it can be done. You better believe it can. Because of who God is, not who we are, right? So he appeals to God. God, not only do I not know how to do it, and I can't do it, I don't even know. Does anybody ever, has anybody been there? Can anybody say right now in the church today, any local church you go in, I'm talking about in the churches today, does anybody know even what to ask God to do, really? I'm not even sure I know what to ask him to do. Does he need to save some people? I don't know if they're saved or they're law. Does he need to fill them with the Holy Spirit? I, I, I don't know. I don't even know what to ask him to do. Does he need to help me? Does he need to help somebody sing? Does he need to help? I don't, I don't know even what to ask him to do sometimes. What are you going to do then when you don't even know what to do? You're going to go back to what he has done and what he has promised. Right? And you're going to stand upon that and say, Now God, if you don't do nothing... You promised this, and that's not on me, right? If the devil prevails against the church, that's on God, is it not? Now, I understand what he's saying in that, and it's not going to happen. He's talking about the church, not Harriman Tabernacle. So, get you in the Word of God and find you some promises to you now. Don't go back there and digging up, you know, promises weren't made to you. But uh, right in context, in line with the Word of God, and you stand upon these promises, and don't you let nobody move you away from them. And I'm going to stand on that for our church and for me. I'm going to stand on the promises of God. What I'm going to do. Because that's what he's going to exhort them to do, Brother Nathan. He's going to say, look, I don't have the provisions. I don't have the ability. And I'm I'm done. He said, I don't even know what to do. And so here's here's what, when I don't know what to do, look at that last statement. But our eyes are upon thee. Boy, when you don't know what to do, that'll get you in good position. When you come to yourself and say, God, I've tried quitting this. I've tried doing that. I've tried everything I know to do. You're my last hope. (laughs) It shouldn't be, but that's what happened in this man's life. I've tried everything else. I've tried tricking people. I've tried fooling them. I've tried to go out and make an allegiance with them. I've tried to get help from other places. I've done everything I know to do. I'm tired of all that. It gets me nowhere. And God, my only hope is in thee. Are you there today? I am. My, my only hope, God, my eyes are upon you. If he don't do it, we're doomed. Right? Don't look to me. I'm a man. I'm liable to fail you tomorrow. You better get your eyes on the Lord. I'm done after this. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones. Oh, men. They took their little ones, they took their wives, and they took their children. Oh, man, how we need to get our families back. You know what? No, I've, never, I've never been, I mean, I'm telling you, we've had loud things to creep in, and none of us are any better Christians for it. I've made jokes about when I used to, I got rid of my TV. Can I say something? I'm not a better Christian for allowing that TV in my home. I was a better Christian when I was really going too far. Remember people told you you were going too far? You're taking it too far. Well, I was a lot happier when I went too far. Am I telling it right, Amber? That's a good TV I wasted money on. Had to buy another one. Y'all that know the story know what I'm talking about. I, hey, I'm not past throwing this one out. I'm not past it. Now, I don't sit and watch TV. 
but I don't even like the ugly thing looking at me. Now, that's neither here nor there, but I'm afraid the little things that we kind of mocked at and kind of made fun of and made light of over the years, I'm afraid that's what led to the situation we're in now. Them old-timers were on to something when they abandoned themselves to God. They were on to something. And little things that we've kind of made fun of, well, it's not that important. I don't know. It may be exactly what's brought us down. Now, look, I'm not getting into that. And all Judah stood before the Lord, and they took their families. Men, let's get our families together like we have in the past. And let's set our eyes upon the Lord. I'm not talking about throwing TVs out and all that. But I am saying this. When we get our eyes upon the Lord, there'll be some help coming. There may be some things need thrown out. And all Judah stood before the Lord, their little ones, their wives, and their children, upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah. Look at the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph. Come the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. When they corporate prayer, people despise corporate prayer. I'm going to tell you something. In the book of Acts, where you look at the book of Acts, when those people came together in one accord in prayer, they were praying together. Now, I'm for private prayer, but I'm for corporate prayer. And right here is corporate prayer of the people of God coming together to pray, and the Spirit of God showed up in the midst. You're talking about revival, buddy. God showed up. The Spirit of God came in the midst of the congregation. When's the last time that happened? When the wishers were here? When was that, a year ago? Last time I remember it. The Spirit of God came in the midst of the congregation. You ever been in a service like that, Hunter? Where God moved in there, you remember? I'm, I know I'm done. I know y'all want to go home. My heart, I'm long for those days again when God moved in our congregations. We're missing something. I, I'm, I'm sorry, guys. Let me just go through this, just and I'm done. But this little Levite came the Spirit of the Lord, and look at what he said. It wasn't Jehoshaphat. That he used. Golly, that's amazing to me. He used a young man. Hey, one of you might use one of you young men. You ever think about that? Might use you. There's no telling. God may use somebody you wouldn't think. Well, he's going to set Brother Clint on fire today. Brother Clint may not even stand up. Maybe somebody else God moves on. I want to be that person. Do you want to be that person? What if, what if, what if, you, what if you got to that place and God moved on you? Right? He can do it. He don't need me. Make no mistake about that. Now, look, I'm, I'm done with this. But he didn't use him, and that was odd to me. But he said, Hearken ye all Judah inhabitants of Jerusalem, and now King Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. <laughs> I don't know what you're facing. I want to tell you something. It ain't your battle. You can't fix it. You can't fight it. And the enemies that are coming against you are not your enemies. They're his enemies. And God wants you to prevail. He wants you to prevail. Oh, and we can. Oh, this looked so awful. And it looked like there was no hope. And can you imagine how God delivered them? Look what he said. The battle's not here with God. And tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they came up to the cliffs of Ziz, and he, he shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness Jeruel. And he said in, in, in verse number 17, you shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves. Stand ye still and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> Boy, how much will that help you to just say, just say God, I don't, I don't know how you're going to do it. I have no idea if you're even going to do it really, Lord. But I just know this. If you'll be with us, that's all I really care about. If you'll just be there. I don't know how many are going to get saved. I don't know who's going to get right. I don't know who's going to stand up and shout. I don't know who's going to do anything. If you'll just be with us, Lord, that'll encourage my heart for the battle. I just need you with us. And that's what he does here. He said, now look, don't be dismayed. Don't worry about nothing. You're not even going to fight in this battle. I'm going to tell you what I have thought, Simon. I thought, yeah, right. I'm not going down here with a sword and getting all dressed up for nothing. <laughs> not going down there to fight. I know what you guys are going to do. You're going to throw the fat guy out in front and let him take them longer to, to, to chop me up. I'd be thinking, they're nuts. How are you going to win a battle and not fight it? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to keep going. I, please forgive me for this today. But he just, can you imagine? I mean, listen, I don't know how in the world. I've been in situations before. I don't know. I didn't even, honestly, I wasn't thoroughly convinced God was even going to get me out of them. I was that bad off. I didn't even know about the promises. I was, I was scared. I wasn't even so sure about the promises anymore. And uh, let alone where God was going to come through. How he was going to do it, I don't know. And can I tell you something in your life? How God's going to deliver you, I don't know. It'll be miraculous, however it is. And it'll be him that does it. Well, I want to talk about that rapture again, but we got to go. I'm getting hungry. Now, it's miraculous what he does here. So he tells them, you're not even going to fight. Don't worry about it. You're not going to fight nobody. You're just going to go out there, and you're going to stand there, and God's going to win. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys, but that's going to be hard for me to believe. That's kind of like saying, now, Brother Clint, you just need to be a good cheer. The battle's the Lord's. You just need to come in with your heart ready, set your face towards heaven, and just look to God, and the battle's going to be won. Uh, we already know the victory. He always causes us to triumph. He always causes us to overcome. He always gives us the victory. He always calls us to win. And you stay on the promises, just believe God, and just look to God, and don't even worry about nothing else. God's going to win the battle. I think, ha, are you kidding? I got to call Brother Jones, have him pray. I better get Brother Beard on the phone. I better get make sure so-and-so's here. I wonder who's on vacation this week. Well, they're not here. Well, now I'm upset. I mean, I'm all over the place. I'd be thinking, that man, he's lost it. How are you going to win a fight if you don't throw a punch? you got to fight somebody if you're going to fight. And fighting's nasty. There ain't no fair fights. You fight to win. That was nowhere to be found in here. Now look, I'm done with this. You shall not need to fight this battle. Set yourself, stand you still. So here's what I want to encourage our hearts to do. Here's what, here's what God's helped me to do. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to get together and pray. We're going to believe God, and we're going to stand still, and we're going to watch God win this battle. That's what God's told me he's going to do. Say, well, you some kind of, pro no, I can just read. And God gave me the spirit of God. Hey, you didn't think we was going to win that last one, did you? I never thought we'd win it. Whew. I never thought I'd make it out of miracle life, Brother, Brother Jones. I never dreamed God would deliver me from that. And God brought me safely here and blessed you all with a nut. And, uh, hey, Brother, I never dreamed God would get me through that thing. I actually reserved. Here's what I come to. I said, God, and I've told you all this. If you don't, if I don't even win, I don't, if there's no battle to ever be won again, I'm just going to, I'm just going to die trying. I'm going to die giving my life for you, whatever that means. And then here come God out of nowhere and gave the victory. 
And you know what I did? You know what I did? I did absolutely nothing. I just realized I couldn't. See, I've been discouraged. I've been, I've been out in the woods praying. I've, I've fasted. I've gone and done this, and I've done that, and I've done some pretty drastic things to try to find God and try to make God win a battle. I've tried some pretty drastic things. And I really had lost heart by then. I thought, God, I've done all that stuff, and it never seemed to work. You know what God was just trying to get me to see? He just wanted me to come to the end of his cell because you can't go do something drastic and make God do something. See, people try to get filled with the Spirit by thinking they can go get it and do something and make God feel them. I'm not for that kind of preaching. I'm, I don't mind with you being preaching about being filled with the Spirit in that manner that maybe is a little bit different than how I preach it, but you better preach it in line with this, that they humbled themselves and prayed and they waited till they were endued. It's something you wait on, not something you go get. And they're waiting on God, see. They didn't go do anything. They just got down on their faces and said, Oh, Lord God of our fathers. And God did it. Look, look stand still and see salvation. God's with you. Jehoshaphat bowed his head. And he bowed his face to the ground. All Judah in the heavens of Jerusalem fell before the Lord. And what did they do? They worshiped God. That's what's missing. So what's worship? Worship worship's in the heart. See, a lot of times we get praise and worship mixed up. Now, they're going to praise. But we see no praise and we say nobody's worshiping. That's not so. I may never see you worship. In fact, I ought to not see you worship a lot of times. Y'all be doing some worshiping at home. Right? I've worshipped in my car and almost run off the road, right? I mean, I've done some worshiping. And, uh, but then, so they got down, and here's, here's, what's, here's what's killing me. I know we got to go. I've never preached this all my life. Can I say something? Here's what's amazing to me. Brother Allen, they never won at the first step of the battle, and they're already down worshiping on nothing but a promise. They're thinking something for God that seemed unbelievable, really. And they're just down worshiping God. And you know why? Because they stood on God's promise and on his word. So they didn't go around and say, okay, God said he's going to be with us now. Nathan, get your sword. Sister, get your shield. Sister, get your gun. And, and then go along. Okay, now you get a horse and you get somebody and you go find some more people to fight. We're going to need more people for this. God's going to be with us. But man, we gotta, now we've got to start getting so-and-so in line. Okay, who are we going to get to sing? All right, you just sing. That's not what they did. Run around frantically trying to put it all together. You know what he said? Stand still. And just watch God. Just, just stand still and watch him move. Just worship him and watch him take over. And that's what they did. They just fell down on their face. They hadn't fought the first battle. And they hadn't won the first victory. And they just get down on their face. That's what worship is. Worship prostrating. It's getting down on your face before God in reverence and saying, oh God. And then what did that lead to? The part that I think we see that is a symptom of the deeper problem. Because you don't see a lot of praise these days. And so we think, well, that's the problem. No, the problem's not nobody praise. The problem started a long, long, long time ago, and the solution was back a couple of verses when they got down and humbled themselves and prayed. Right? So he said, the Levites, they fell down and worshiped, and the Levites, the children of the Kohathites, and the children of the Korthites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. Boy, I miss those days, don't you? We can have those again. It's been a long time since God's moved on me to praise Him with a loud voice on high. 
but I'm willing. Are you willing to praise him? No, I would never do that. Well, he may not ask you to, but hey, these people were so overcome on nothing more than a mere promise that they fell down to worship after prayer, and then they started praising God for what he was going to do. Hey, you need to get yourself to that. Say, well, I don't see how this is going to happen. I've, I've made a mess, and I've gotten away from God, and I've done this, and made a mess of my family, or I've, I've done whatever the case is. I, I, I don't know what the case is. I know the solution to the problem has always been the same. It's repentance towards God and faith in Jesus. It's faith. Just believe God. Well, this is happening in our church, and that's happening, and nobody's doing that. I don't care. Just worship God. Get your eyes on God. Now, okay, okay, don't encourage me. We'll be here longer. Now, now, so he batted, they started worshiping. And then the other ones, they got up and they started praising God. And they rose up early in the morning. This didn't just last in a moment. How many of you are tired of that? I've gone to these revivals and somehow I get tore up and I'll get tore up and I'll think that was just emotion because on the way home, I'm ready to pull over and smack everybody in the car. Well, maybe it was just emotion, but emotion's all right sometimes. Sometimes I need an outpouring of emotion so I don't pour it out on you when I get home. No, really, this, is, this wasn't one of those emotional moves, things. And sometimes those are hard to discern, but they happen. And, uh, uh, and I don't believe that's everybody's intention often to do that. I, I just, anyway, so, but this was not one of those. You know why? Because it lasted until in the morning. You know what they did when they got up in the morning? Brother Tony, look what they did when they got up in the morning. So they rose up early in the morning and went forth in the wilderness of Tekoa. And they went out forth and Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. So shall you be established. Believe his prophet. So shall you prosper. He didn't change a single thing that he said yesterday. He just said, believe God yesterday. They worship and praise. He stood up and said, he stood up and said the same thing and they're going to praise God again. Believe God. Just believe God. All right, we're almost done now. He said, and, he shall, and when he had consulted with the people, he anointed singers unto the Lord that should praise the beauty of holiness. They went out before the army to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. And we all know the story of what happened. God caused ambushment. And so here's what happened. It was bouncing off them cliffs and it sounded like to them that there was millions coming after them and they turned on each other and slew each other. And everybody was just standing there looking all because they were praising God. Now it may be the rapture. That may be how God, you know, brings it. I don't know. But I know while we're down here, it'll be the same thing. God will just miraculously, you'll start worshiping God. When you get your heart set back on Jesus and you get your affections back on him and you're looking into Jesus, the author and finish of your faith, you're just going to start noticing that is not the normal reaction to persecution. The enemy's not used to dealing with people like that. When you get mad and you start blaming God and you get mad at everybody, now he's used to that and that's where he uses to get you away. But when you just turn around and say, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, all this within me. He's not, he just know how to do what is, what is that? <laughs> These people, they got coronavirus. They got a socialist president. They got, <laughs> maybe, they got, uh, they got uh, uh, people's loves waxed cold. They've got all this stuff going on in their life. And why in the world would they be praising God? <sighs> it just confused them. That is confusing, isn't it? Hey, we ought to be sad. It, I mean, things look bad. The normal reaction would be for everybody to just get dead. Give up. Doesn't look like it's helping much. All right, I'm done. All right. His mercy endureth forever, and I'm done. Well, we miss the perplexity and the personality, but then we see his proclamation in verse 20, and he said, believe God. 
And God won that thing, buddy. And didn't need a one of them. Not one man picked up a sword. Stand to your feet. I'm so, in some ways, I'm really sorry for doing this to y'all today. But uh, I thank you for letting me preach and get this burden out of my heart. Thank you for being patient this morning. Uh, I'm usually very mindful of the time. And I, but you just thank you for being patient with me today. I want to tell you I love you. And uh, I, I'm telling you, God's encouraged my heart. And I want to encourage your heart. Just believe God. And your family, your, your situation, everything that's going on in the church. Let's just believe God. Let's worship Him. And let's praise Him. And let's just watch the enemies get confused. And let's watch Him win. That's what He said. Just stand still and watch the salvation. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for giving us this time together today. There are so many, Lord, that don't get this opportunity today. And so we are thankful you let us come. Thank you for every one of these people, Lord, that you allowed to come and sit patiently and listen to me this morning. I pray you reward them for that, for hearing of the Word of God and that they put an application into our lives. Burn into our soul, Lord, that we just need to believe you. You are our only hope and stay. You're every, you're all that we have, Lord. Where are we going to go? For thou hast the words of eternal life. We've got nowhere else to run to, nowhere else to go, Lord. And we're begging you to help us. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, we love you. Amen and amen. We'll let, uh, if you need to come, we'll take a moment to pray. And uh, if you need to join these others and, uh, and you want to come down to the altar and pray, why don't you just come on a minute? And uh, if you feel like the Lord wants you to, and you just mind the Lord. And we'll just pray together that God would do some miraculous again. Boy, I want to see God move in our church again. Oh, Lord, it's been so long, Lord, since we've felt your presence like we know you're able to do. Lord, we've seen you win battles with no help. No, you've never needed a man to do anything. And, Lord, we've seen that in days gone by. And somehow, Lord, we've just lost sight of, of your ability, your power, your character. And, Lord, I want to apologize on my behalf. I'm sorry, Lord, for doubting you. I'm sorry, Lord, forgive our unbelief. Lord, we know you're well able to deliver us today just as you were, Lord, in salvation. And so, Lord, I pray anybody here that may be unsaved today, that they've never known you in this manner which I speak, in this personal manner, in this relationship with God through his Son, I pray you'd help them to come to the saving knowledge of the truth. But most of all for Christians, Lord, I pray for those that are saved today that you would help us, Lord, please to get our attention, be troubled once again for our families. Lord, we've gotten so selfish, we don't have much of a burden for our own families much anymore. And I pray for our men, that you'd burden them for their families and their lost loved ones. And I pray for our ladies, Lord, the help of the home. I pray, God, you'd help them. And Lord, encourage their hearts. How many of these women, Lord, in this church right now have kept their homes together because of a husband wouldn't do right. And Lord, I can testify to that fact. And I want to thank you for the women you've put in our lives that love God and kept the family firm while we messed up, made mistakes. Thank you for restoring us. Thank you for being faithful to them. But show yourself again, Lord, another time, please. We're asking that you do something miraculous again, that you'd send revival. Lord, we need a revival in our hearts on an individual level. We need a revival in the church, Lord. And Lord, we don't want to see the enemies of God prosper any longer. And Lord, they are continually saying and scoffing and mocking, where is the promise of his coming? And Lord, many of the enemies of God have stand in doubt. And, and Lord, often we've given reason for the enemies to blaspheme. And 
Lord, there's so many things that we are incapable of doing, and I don't know exactly what to ask you and how to ask you, Lord, but I'm asking you in the name of Jesus that, Lord, you'd revive our church again, revive the hearts of our people, that, Lord, you'd help our young people that are being pulled in every direction, that, Lord, they're being told things by the enemy, they're being allured by the God of this world, and they're being pulled in 7,000 different directions, Lord. And I pray for their souls that you'd help them to stand firm and to overcome the wicked one by the word of God. Help our young men, Lord, to keep themselves unspotted from the world. And our young ladies, I pray for them, Lord, especially in this wicked day, Lord. There's so few young men and young ladies that want to serve God. And I pray you draw the hearts of our young people together and give them unity together and help them, Lord, that they need each other. They need the help of a good Christian friend and brother and sister in Christ. And Lord, help them to be a help to one another. And Lord, I just pray for unity amongst our church, amongst our young people. And Lord, we just ask and beg you to move again. Thank you for what you have done, what you're going to do. Help us to just believe God. We know that's the answer. You're the answer. We love you. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. Well, amen. Thank the Lord for his goodness. I don't know many people that could put up with that that long. And I mean that. I love you. And I'm, I appreciate you hanging in here with me today. I love you all. And, uh, and uh, boy, I'd like to see our families filled with joy again, wouldn't you? We just see our churches on fire and filled with joy. God can do it. Oh, I've got a yearning in my heart. Do you feel it? Do you have a yearning in there to see God do something again? See people saved again? And Anyhow, I want to keep on, but I, I love you. And uh, Brother Alan Oliver, would you pray and dismiss us today?